I'm Jennifer McGlemory. I go by Dr. Meg for short. I'm the principal of Dolores Huerta Middle School, and I'm acting as the moderator today. We have um, some alumni from Dolores Huerta and Burbank Unified here with us today. I want to thank you all for being here. Um, we've done a few parent ed nights and talking a, around the uh, some of the issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion, but We've been saying all along that we want some voices of students who are really living this and um, are passionate. And uh, I think you guys have a lot to teach us as adults in this area. So let's go around and if you'll introduce yourselves, Ever, will you start us off? Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Ever Huerta. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. I'm the chairman of the Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee at John Burroughs High School. I'm also president of a club at John Rose High School is called Latinos Unidos, and I'm also the student outreach commissioner of ASB. Ella. Hi, my name is Ella Tracy. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the president of Saga, which is the local LGBTQ club at Burroughs. And yeah. Levin. Um, hi, everyone. I just want to thank Dr. Meg for this opportunity. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Lavan Lalwani. I am the president and founder of the Asian Culture Club, as well as a couple other clubs on campus. I am super excited to be here, and I'm also part of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee at John Burroughs High School. And Hallie. Hi, my name is Hallie Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her. I'm 18, and I used to be in Burbank Unified, um, but now I am at Pasadena City College studying biology and environmental science. Awesome. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so great. So glad to have you guys. And the question that I want to kick off our panel with is maybe we can just go around and you can talk about what does the, when we use the phrase diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, what does that mean to you? What, what, how do you see the importance of this work or how do you see it playing out in your daily lives? And um, maybe we'll go in reverse order now. Hallie, will you kick us off? Yes, yeah, so DEI is for me kind of everywhere. Um, and I define it as not just diversity, equity, and inclusion, but something that everybody kind of does already. Um, it's not just being inclusive. It's also making sure that others are okay, that when something does happen, that the consequences are played out and that in our everyday lives, we make sure to make sure that everybody is comfortable and everybody has a safe space because you know, you never know what somebody's going through, you know? That's how I define it. Levin? Yeah, well, I completely agree with Hallie and everything that um, she said. I definitely think, you know, diversity is being so diverse. And the really cool thing about Burbank is that we have such a diverse community, which is great because we see so many different faces and only so many different ethnicities and cultures, which makes Burbank so unique. And, you know, equity is um, as well as the EDI community. Um, it's great that we have this community and we're able to learn from each other and support all these other different, you know, ethnicities. And it's a really amazing to have such a diverse community. Ella. Uh, to me, the 
a DEI kind of just stands for understanding multiple points of views that you may not personally understand and just learning more about other cultures that you aren't necessarily a part of and how you can improve the circumstances for them in society and in our school systems. Ever? Uh, so when I think of DEI, I think it's really important as Hallie said, it affects us uh, everywhere and every day. Uh, for me, uh, DEI stands for in the school seeing representation, but accurate representation of the cultures that we have at our schools. And especially like Levin said, in a community of Burbank where we have such different cultures and we see different perspectives every every day. Uh, it truly helps us to say, all right, this is how we can view different subjects from different viewpoints in DEI and learn from each other and how we can build off of that. Absolutely. There's a term, we, we're going to go through some terms tonight that I want to hear your definitions for or how you how you see them playing out in your lives. And um, you, it's your opportunity to school some adults here tonight. The first term is anti-racism. Is there anybody that wants to start us off on that one? Give us a good definition for anti-racism. I can start it off. <laughs> so uh, when I think of anti-racism, anti-racism is uh, where at a any place, community, school, wherever it stands that here racism has no place for it. And if it is happening, there will be actions. The action, there'll be consequences for your actions that you do at the school, not like where we see, for example, at the schools, especially here at Burbank, where many of us have experienced it, students being racist towards other students and them going to administration and administration not taking it seriously, or if it is, it's just like a little slap on the hand and not serious consequences at, 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 the, local at the local level, at the school levels. I think anti-racism means, hey, this is where we're going to educate others on why we can't be saying certain things, how we can respect each other's cultures, ethnicities, and races. And we have to learn in a respectable manner and not say like, oh, like whatever, who cares? I love that. Ever. Does anyone want to add to that? I'll just say that um, I feel like it's an action word, not an inaction word, because that that to me feels like the problem that you're talking about ever uh, that we adults admit I'm an administrator teachers. It's not just enough for us to to hear it and say, oh, that's that's not okay. We're not saying that anymore. The end. That's inaction, right? That's just saying we don't we don't use that terminology. But actually, taking making a stand, taking a stand, and and um, uh, using it as an educational moment to explain the why behind it, uh, and not just uh, not just say no, we're not going to do that, but really kind of get into it and and educate around around racism and not be afraid to talk about it um, and some of its ugly truths. What about the term privilege uh, when it's used in context, in this DEI context? Hallie, would you take that one for us? Yes, um, so there are obviously different forms of privilege. Or, uh, there are different forms of privilege depending on who you are. 
Um, a type of privilege I'm most familiar with is white privilege. And it's not a term that is supposed to demean your experiences, whether it's you've had a rough life or not. It's not a word to demean you. But when you are white, you do have certain imbalances then towards other marginalized community, whether you see it a lot, a common, actually, something that I like to tell people when I explain it is, if I were to get pulled over, the outcome might be different than if somebody who's white is pulled over. And that is privilege in a sense that the two outcomes are completely different because of the race. Um, and uh, it's a horrible and ugly thing, trust me. Um, but that is privilege. Lovin, what do you, I'm kind of interested in privilege around, um, you know, some of our, like the Asian community. Um, I think that there are some, we'll get into bias later, but maybe, you know, maybe there's some instances of privilege working in a different way. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I totally agree with what Haley said. You know, um, a lot of privilege is different, mainly white privilege. Um, same for the Asian community. Um, mainly with the Asian community, a lot of people have a representation, have a different mindset based on them. So people don't really give them the right. Or and in other words, you know, like the privilege of having a different point of view, because, I've, you know, at the end of the day, everyone is unique and diverse in their own way. And everybody comes from a different background, which is something we should all be celebrating. But sometimes mainly the Asian community, it's kind of interesting to talk about because there's a lot that has been going on ever since December 2019 with the hate crimes ever since the coronavirus has started. And it's been crazy because the amount of hate that people have got it. And um, a lot of uh, people have been attacking them. A lot of people who've had the privilege have been attacking the Asian community because saying that you guys created the virus, you ate the bat. And it's to all Asian cultures, which is crazy because some of these people are so harmless. They haven't done anything. A lot of these people actually, and nobody deserves to get you know, attacked like that or to, you know, get like have people be rude to you. It's so rude. And that's one of the things that you know, the Asian community right now doesn't really have the privilege of speaking out of speaking out about you know their actions and everything that is currently happening because of all these hate crimes that are currently taking place. It makes me think about um, right after 9-11, uh, the, the backlash against the Muslim community, Middle Eastern, right? Very similar to what you're talking about, Levin. So sometimes it, it, it comes and goes around these events, these historical events. Um, I think that's an Ella. What do you think about what about uh, gender and privilege? I think a, there's a lot with like priv privileges and gender, especially if you're a woman. Oh, like misogyny runs rampant, unfortunately, through our culture and traditional gender roles and everything like that. So it just applies additional pressure. And then, of course, there's a bunch of things with like pay and stuff like that. But in general, like let's take sexual harassment for like example, 97% of women are sexually harassed at least once in their life. Um, I know I've experienced it. 
And it's, it's really sad. And a lot of men who are in powerful positions just tend to put women down. And then on top of that, for trans women or trans men or people who are non-binary, it's those people tend to be very, very misunderstood and marginalized. So they don't really have like the privilege of being their natural born gender or privilege of being like, oh, are you sure? Like, you know, it's it, it's really interesting. And oftentimes, hopefully not as much anymore, but people can be, uh, you know, fired or hired for being trans. And especially because it goes on the medical bill. Oh, wait, yes, they did get it. Never mind. I just remembered an example of this is during the Trump administration when Trump passed the trans bill, literally banning trans people from being in the military. So it was the privilege was being born your natural gender. And then with often trans people don't get the same rights. And especially non-binary people with their pronouns constantly being slashed or not abide by or being made fun of, like with the whole 2016 debacle of I identify as an attack helicopter type thing. So, you know, gender is a very tricky thing. And I feel like unless you're kind of a man, particularly a straight white man in society, a lot of your privileges can be which, like just flushed from the toilet. So, Ever, you, you have anything to add to this? Add on on the aspect of different languages, especially. Uh, as someone myself, my first language is Spanish and my second language is English. So I entered the, the school system. I knew a little bit of English, but not much where be like, oh, yeah, you can go on. So I was in the programs of ELD until elementary school where I graduated. And now as myself, I think about, OK, now that I'm I'm in a position of power at my school level as part of ASB. Now, how can I help those students? whose first language may not be English. And, and it's something that we see especially is, well, oh, go back to your country is uh, one phrase that we hear a lot when people are speaking another language. Myself, I've heard it at the schools where I'm speaking Spanish with other uh, Spanish speaking students and we're com conversating and we're trying to uh, spread information of the schools and say, okay, these are resources that can help you and you can go whenever you need them and people and you hear other students like, oh, you go back to your country, speak English, this is America. And it really downgrades other people on being able to be like, oh, well, I can't even use my voice if I can't even speak um, English. So it's really important when we have, for example, town hall meetings or any city official or any political organization events that translators are available, sign language interpreters. It's really important because we need to spread information and we need to be able to, for people to be uh, having resources available 24 seven at their need. That's a great point, Ever. I'm so glad you brought that up. Our next term is microaggressions. Ella, will you kick us off on that one? Um, I feel like a lot of microaggressions, particularly in the LGBTQ community, like come from a lot of social media because especially until like recently there wasn't a lot of information out there so people would be like with the whole like um i uh, again the 2016 debacle but then people would also actively joke about sexuality and other people's sexuality because it's really misunderstood 
especially earlier on. So I feel like a lot of microaggressions can be like, for example, in my AP econ class, I feel like someone, when our teacher asked for the pronouns in the corner of their little entry ticket, put like normal or something, which was completely insensitive. It's just certain little microaggressions or like not identifying someone by their pronouns type thing. It just, it, it doesn't like actively hurt the person, but it, it just hurts them indirectly because you're actively not like confirming them. And it can, especially for trans people or non-binary people, it can put them in a completely awkward like position because they don't, there are certain things that make them feel gender dysphoria, which can be super bad for their mental health. So, you know, just certain little things like that, it, you know, affects the community. Hallie, can you think of a good definition of microaggression and some examples? So a good definition of microaggressions is something that somebody does to another person that I like what Ella said, it indirectly hurts the person because you think that it's okay to say or do that thing. But in reality, it's very hurtful and can come off as racist or homophobic or xenophobic. And a lot of the times when you can, like for when I've confronted a microaggression, the person doesn't even realize that it's hurtful in the first place. And confrontation is a whole other topic, but it can be difficult to explain and be like, that was racist. Um, for example, like something that's happened to me like in Burbank is like, oh, you're so, your hair's so pretty, but it'd be prettier if it was straight. And it was, it, that's, that comment is just, one, my hair is ethnically curly. I get it from my ancestors. And for you to say, I think that it'd be prettier if it was straight, it's hurtful because you're pushing a white beauty standard on me that is harmful. Um, and a microaggression could be as simple as just like something that people do is like they'll pet you and that makes that makes the assumption or makes you assume that you're like an animal to that person like you're a pet and it's it's something that could be harmless like you could do it to your friend and they won't tell they might not tell you but it's still harmful to them because they it gives you that doubt of do they see me as a person or do they see me as an object to them you know Great point. Ever, have you ever heard someone use a microaggression and then when you do confront them, they say, oh, I was just kidding. And, and you hear that a lot, actually, in, in the high schools. And when, when you confront someone like, oh, hey, what you're doing is wrong. They're like, oh, it's just a joke. Calm down. Or, oh, you're sensitive. Oh, this, that, this and this. And it really like says, OK, well, like if you're getting confronted and you don't want to take actions for your responsibility, like if you're not taking responsibilities for your actions, then why, why are you even like saying that? Like you have to think before you speak and it's something that we hear very often and but many people don't especially. And like Haley was saying, many people are like, oh, you look nice, but, or if maybe you look better, 
if you did this or it it adds these little things like where you're downgrading and for example it comes in cultures when many people wear cultural attire or different things like that many people are like oh it's pretty but i would prefer it like this or that but like that's not your place to say because you're not you don't know about the cultures or don't understand the background or the history on those things so many of these terms are tied together right because it's making me think well that's because you're privileging your culture over another or your hairstyle or the way your hair grows over another person's uh levin you want to take us take us out on this yes of course well i totally agree with everybody and i definitely do see those things at school for instance um mainly in the asian culture club asia is such a diverse country and we have so many different cultures and different outfits we wear and different foods we eat and sometimes people like to make fun of it for instance you're like oh yeah that's really stinky it's like oh yeah that may be stinky to you but that's what I call home food or sometimes people just wear cultural pieces of clothing because they see celebrities wearing it so for instance like Indian the Indian culture a lot of celebrities wear Indian pieces and don't even know what it represents and it's like well my culture is not a fashion statement like you don't know what it means, but you're wearing it. And when these celebrities wear, everybody wears it. So they're just wearing something they don't really know the full representation of. And something with also like, something with microaggression, sometimes it's not necessarily intentional, but some people can tend to make it really big and constantly do it. So it's not like a once and done thing. It's not like, oh yeah, I made this mistake and I'm sorry, you know, I learned from this and I won't make it again. Or if I do it, I'll do it in a more educated way. They do it more to annoy people. So really interesting case, but yeah. Loving, you're getting into um, our next topic about bias. Would, uh, would you talk a little bit about the difference between explicit bias and implicit bias? Um, for, for sure. So um, I definitely think, you know, bias is such a, big thing in our like sorry uh bias is such a, a big thing and it definitely does have different terminologies so for um implicit bias i you know it's describing our attitudes towards people and like a certain stereotype and this is something we definitely see a lot in our schools which is really unfortunate and sometimes people do make it by mistakes but this is definitely something we do see pretty common and then like explicit is like you know the traditional conceptualization um and a lot of this a lot of this has to do with the media and social media nowadays because everything is on the media and if you see something on the media or you see something on you know instagram tiktok facebook you tend to want to do this as well so um these are like some of the different things but i definitely think implicit bias is something we see during school and a lot of people like don't like know what's going on so it's really nice like when we're able to like and teach them and, like inform them because it makes them like a better person like helps them teach like others about like what they're wearing or like what they're doing and like yeah hallie what would you want people to know about implicit bias i think i want people to know about implicit bias I actually didn't know exactly what implicit bias was before Levin explained. So thank you so much for that. Um, but I realized that it's something that happens and has happened a lot to me. Um, 
you kind of don't like you don't do it on purpose sometimes but it's kind of like how every like racial group has those set stereotypes like I know I've had a lot of people come up to me and be like what's your favorite Kool-Aid oh wait I already know it's great and I'm like that where did you put two and two together like there's no correlation with me being black and liking grape flavors but it's something that has been stereotyped through in time from and there are reasons I mean there are reasons I don't remember the reason but I know there's a reason on why people talk about grape kool-aid um totally forgot though (laughs) um but implicit bias although all biases can hurt stereotyping somebody I think is one of to me is one of the worst things that can happen because instead of getting to know you and getting to see who you are as a person you're automatically going to that person and being like oh you have to fit this racial category or the category that fits your gender like I see a lot of like guys at my college who think that like women are still supposed to like cook for you and like do everything for you and it's like no this is 2021 we left that in the past a long time ago but those are the gender stereotypes and there's gender stereotypes for men where men are supposed to be strong and if you're not strong you're weak but that's not the case either there are implicit biases everywhere and we don't see it so learning about them and like just coming to events like this that is a step moving forward to acknowledge these biases and understand why they hurt people and what you can do to stop doing it. Because I know that like growing up as a kid, I did it to people. It's something that everybody kind of does because being implicit is not doing it consciously. You're doing it subconsciously. And, you know, it's hard to like, focus in on that but as we're all here we're learning and yeah well and Hallie you talked earlier about you know the importance of confronting and not and the way you even talked about it was so lovely and I felt like you know if you corrected me on something that I wouldn't feel upset I would feel like I had learned something and that's that's the only way we're going to um, get past our implicit and unconscious biases is by learning from people. Um, and I think, I think you've talked about that really nicely. Um, Ella, sorry. (laughs) I, I'm like that waiter that waits till you have food in your mouth to come and ask you how your food is. (laughs) No, it's my bad. Evelyn was asking about a table. Uh, I, okay. So for, Um, the bias statement I feel like a lot of it is like especially with sexuality it's so generalized like people have the idea of like the quintessential specifically it happens to be like more with gay men and lesbian women in my in my case or even like more modern day there is a whole stigma with non-binary people and with um bi and pan people like 
there's just a whole bunch of stereotypes that we can tend to associate with those types of people. So like, for example, like, oh, gay men are more feminine, but lesbian women are more masculine. Like, that's like a thing that we constantly associate. And it leads to like a lot of problematic things in our culture. Like, for example, calling someone the F slur or the or just gay for acting more feminine. And then it enforces these negative um, gender roles, basically saying that, oh, you shouldn't be too feminine, even though like what they could have been doing wasn't even that feminine at all. Or it doesn't really matter because it it was just innocent. It wasn't anything over the top. Like, and then especially with uh, modern day culture, like for example, like the whole like bi girl thing where it's like, cuffed jeans the sweater weather like you know it's it's not necessarily a negative stereotype but like sometimes often asking people it like people can get really offended like if you ask someone oh are you bi it can make them feel kind of insecure like oh what made me what what said that and then this is something we actually talk we're talking about in saga like this week um is the huge negative like bias of non-binary people because people assume that non-binary people are um in between phases and then on top of that that they have to be completely androgynous and look like an alien half the time so it's like there's a whole entire negative and toxic culture around androgyny because we often we associate it with it has to be the middle of the spectrum it can't be one end or another when non-binary people can dress however they want again clothes don't really have much of a gender so it's kind of like they can be on either end of the spectrum so you know it's just those types of things within the lgbtq community yes holly no i love what you i just want to say i love what you had to say about non-binary people and like how they're expected to look like aliens all the time because i find i have a lot of non-binary friends in college and they're still trying college is kind of like high school, you're still trying to figure out who you are, who you want to be. I have friends switching majors every day, every other day. Um, nobody knows who they are, but one of my non-binary friends, I know that they um, struggle with that of having to look super androgynous and they get gender envy and body dysmorphia. And I, I find like I'm on TikTok a lot and I see a lot of other non-binary people talking about how there it's not there's no binary for a reason you can look like whoever you want to look like so I love what you said about like how people are just supposed to stay and like look like they're expected to look like aliens like how people like associated I remember watching a TikTok and the person talking was like they expect us to all have like mullets and wear flannels. And that's what being non-binary is about. And that's not it, there is no binary. And I remember like, cause I even had questions about like, I feel like questioning your gender is something that everybody's gone through, especially in quarantine. Like my friend, <laughs> me and my friends, we're all like having conversations and that's good. Conversate with your friends about it, especially I think, because it's important to, make sure that you're not only not alone, but also that having conversations with your friends about these kinds of things um, 
for me specifically, it makes me feel like, okay, I'm being listened to and they, it's very helpful. Um, but yeah, I just, I really liked what you had to say about that. I read a great book called um, this, The Symptoms of Being Human and the main characters non-binary. And um, they said, you know, some days I wake up and feel like I wanna look more feminine. And then the next day I'm, I wake up and I wanna dress more masculine like that. It's just having that freedom to express yourself in different ways and not conforming to one, you know, one stereotype or, or just one way of representing yourself from day to day. Uh, and you're absolutely right, Hallie, like that's what high school, middle school, college is all about is uh, experimenting with those things and trying them out. Uh, ever, any, I, I've started to forget what our topic was, but go yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, so I actually took a child development class uh, last year online because I wanna be a teacher, um, public education, woo. Uh, <laughs> so, and one, we actually spent a, a huge amount of time on implicit biases and how it, it works its way in, especially on the education system. And like Haley was saying, I, I've done it before. I mean, especially in the Hispanic culture specifically, we have a lot of anti-blackness and it's something that when we get called out on it, we just, we stay quiet or we get the fans and we're like, oh no, well, my cousin's dark skin or this person I know is dark skin. And it's something that we, we ignore the Afro-Latino uh, community, especially big time, which is like, well, the Afro-Latino community has done so much for the Hispanic community. It has influenced music, uh, language and it's just developed so much and it's like oh well we're just discrediting them and when it comes to implicit biases I mean I've done it myself especially in how uh, I've been I was I grew up on in the culture and I was like and once I started DEI work and I started learning I was like oh my god how, how many times have I done this before how many times have I made someone feel bad about themselves or doubt their self-identity and you go through that and you're like Okay, so now moving on forward, how can I improve off of that? And how can I encourage uh, other people, my peers, and how we can make other people feel secure? And like we were talking about non-binary, I have friends who are non-binary. Some days they are dressed feminine and sometimes they dress masculine. And I'm like, like, go for it. I'm like, if you feel confident in yourself, then that's all that should matter. If you are, if you are satisfying yourself, ignore what everyone is saying because people are going to talk regardless of what you do so just you will have to be confident and be yourself and truly express yourself because that's how we're truly going to get things done and truly work if we're staying true to ourselves and we can make everyone feel comfortable and educate especially educate 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 is a big thing that we need to do on people to understand many of these terms and implicit biases is one like it's something that we do subconsciously. We don't we don't do it on purpose, but we it's like oh okay they're this we hit them with the stereotype oh we've hit this a generalization and it's it's something that is it it hurts it hurts them and we don't even know it and we have to work and uh not try and enforce these stereotypes of being like well that's not true for everybody like especially in the Latino community everybody's Mexican. And that's not true. We have Mexico and then we have the Central American countries like Guatemala, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Belize. And it's many countries that make up 
different parts. And it's something that many people don't know because they're not well educated on the topic. There are a lot of different types of biases. And I think the one that we all just encounter every single day ourselves is that unconscious, that implicit bias, but it all stems from this foundational or systemic uh, biases that are built into institutions and um, including education, as you said, ever. Uh, and I'm wondering if anyone uh, wants to speak about either systemic or foundational biases. Ella. I feel like a lot of it is kind of like, we don't talk about the LGBTQ community ever really in any class. Like obviously like they talk about it in health and whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, find your own journey and whatever. But we get to like history and there's one mention of it, which is Stonewall. And that's it. And then I was talking with Mr. Milady, and Mr. Milady said that they actually had another history book that had a lot more mentions of the LGBTQ community throughout. And I felt like that would have been so much better, but instead they chose the same one instead. So I feel like a lot of it is like, you know, schools have the option to teach more about like especially with the LGBTQ community, which tends to be like something that's thought of of only something that happened recently. When in reality, especially for like um, trans, non-binary people, gender and sexuality, it's been mentioned throughout history all the time, especially if you study like Sappho. Sappho has such great poetry if you want to study it for an English class. Like, I just feel there are more options people can make for school and education that they just don't think to do because usually um, public schools are run by uh, straight white men. So they just don't think to include all the other cultures. Lovin. I 100% agree with Ella. I know um, during this past year, the school, the school board has actually gone uh, has gotten rid of a lot of English books. So I definitely think it'd be so cool to put an English a book that has to do with Asian culture and hopefully, you know, written by an Asian American, because I think that's so cool to see a different perspective because we don't really see that at school. We don't really talk about current events or stuff that is currently happening. And even in history, just touch upon like what's happened in the past years and years ago that benefits America. We don't really get into the cultures. And I think it'd be really cool if we would be able to for, I know, our, uh, sorry, I'm all over the place. Is the school board still um, looking for books with different cultures? Because I know they were currently working on those. Yeah, we actually, the English teachers in middle school and high school all uh, had a meeting this week, actually, to start that work of calling the different books that people would like to see um, included. And we're going to all start reading uh, a bunch of different books and then trying to make some decisions. So I'm excited because some of the teachers and I have started this work a couple of years ago um, because we're really interested in getting away from the single narrative and having positive representations of different cultures and it not always just being this tragic story um, of characters. You know, I mean, it was just so pervasive in middle school, all the poor novels we were reading was just a tragic story of a black person, you know, one after another. And it's like, there are so many great books that have been written recently, young adult fiction. I'm a big fan of young adult fiction. 
And there's so many great books. It's okay, there's a there's a black lesbian character uh, in Cinderella is dead, and she's just in a fantasy book. And you know, it's not a big deal. It's not about her and her tragic life. She's just the character. And I think that's what we have to we have to get towards. Is your point? Is we have to be exposed to these things. Kids have to be exposed to these things because when history is too narrowly focused that's where this systemic and foundational biases come from, right? By excluding other things, you're making choices and excluding things. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, sorry, um, I completely agree with you. And also on that point, when um, you were saying that kids were like excluded from you know, things, um, definitely the Asian community, when we started the Asian Culture Club last year, we, a lot of kids felt excluded from school because um, at our school, we had no diversity groups. We had an Armenian club, we had a black student union, we had Saga, but there was no Asian representation at our school. And when you don't really have that representation, you can, you definitely feel like diverted or you don't really feel that sense of belonging. So I definitely think that's so amazing that we're able to bring in these type, different types of books that all students can relate to and find and enjoy and teach others. Cause I think it's so amazing, not only to learn about other people's cultures, but to learn about like your own personal culture and find like that beauty within. It's just amazing. I, I also want to add on um, with what Levin was saying. Um, especially many people aren't exposed to this and, and it happens at a very young age when if we are exposed we can address them like oh like yeah like whatever especially in the lgbtqia plus community especially representation is something that we've been fighting for for a very very long time and accurate representation or or sometimes in a tv queer baiting for example it's something that happens a lot and for those who don't know what queer baiting is it's where um basically uh where in a tv show for example there can be uh two male characters and the tv show they won't specify or say anything like oh yeah they're a couple or they're dating they're this and that but they're just hinting that they're a part of the the community and then uh two seasons later down they're dating the girl from down the block and it just adds like oh okay so you build up to this and then just like it, it you let it down and it crashed and it hurts because you're like oh my gosh like i grew attached to this character because i thought they were like me they are representing me and just for it to be like oh it was just something that they were using to either get more views or just to get more money out of and which is something that's really sad that we see where it's like all right we're just going to give representation but not accurate representation just so that we can profit from it but everybody else to the curb and it's something that that we see a lot and it's, it's really sad. And like Levin was saying, at our school, thankfully, we have so many diversity and culture clubs that have started and where people can, and some students, for example, are very disconnected from their culture and don't know about their personal own cultures. And this just gives them or adds them to be like, oh my God, so this is my culture. This is where, this is some of the things that, this is why we do certain things in my household or this is why, why I do this or why I celebrate it celebrate and it gives an opportunity to share it also with other people and it helps them learn about it too and they can be like oh wow in this culture they do this or in this culture they do that or they can see connections from other cultures which can create more friendships or bonds with other students hallie were you going to say something 
Yes. Um, so ever, I completely agree with you. I see this actually a great example is Disney movies, how the, um, minorities are always animals for the whole movie and we never get the representation that we deserve and if there is a good character that stays human for the whole movie there's for some reason less merchandise less rides less you know there's not enough of the representation um an example i like to use is elena she was a spanish princess and I saw nothing about her when I went to Disneyland. And I was like, why? <laughs> this is so cool. I was so excited because not only am I African-American, now I'm also Latina. Um, and so I was like, this would have been so cool to see. And I just didn't see it. And also um, systemic bias also comes in a lot of forms. And I think one form that I see is thinking that Black people or Latino people are criminals. That's a huge one that I see. You look at somebody and just because they're a little bit more intimidating than somebody else, you think, oh, they're a criminal and people start clutching their purses. And it's horrible because like, I know some people who look kind of intimidating, but they're the sweetest people I've ever met. And you can't just base somebody off of, oh, well, they're that race and they're kind of intimidating because that's a systemic bias because obviously the, how do I say this? The way that the justice system is set up, it's not in favor of marginalized communities and minorities. It's not for us at all, actually. It was never built for us. It was built to keep us away from other people. It was built to keep our cultures away from other people. So the systemic bias in that is that people are just gonna assume that you're a criminal because you have a hoodie on and that's what happened to Trayvon Martin. They thought he was a criminal because he had his hoodie on and was walking with a plastic bag. There are a lot of other examples of that. And so systemic bias can be something as simple as a book not teaching the correct history or any history at all to things that can damage somebody and send them to jail for life when they didn't even do anything or even more seriously, you know, everything we were protesting about last summer. <laughs> um, yeah, really well yeah. stated, Hallie, because, and it's not, it's also the sentencing, right? So how different it is depending on the color of your skin, the type of sentence you're going to get for the same crime. So you're, you're absolutely right. The, the justice system is another place where you really see this institution, institutionalized bias. Um, Ever, were you about to say something? And I almost cut you off. Um, uh, something that I wanted to add on is, is if, when we look back at history, uh, something that we see, Emmett Till. Emmett Till was something that happened that really set the spark on the civil rights movement and we see like he was he was just a boy and we we know the person who said oh yeah he did this was lying even in court she was like after the court and everything she was like yeah i lied and look what happened just because of a lie 
how bad the consequence of someone else is affected by. And it's something that systemically happens. Like we were talking about, you could commit the same crime as someone else, but if you have the different uh, skin color, good luck to you because you're going to get a different sentence. And it's something that's terrible that we need to fix, especially in a system that we're supposed to be uh, trying everyone equally, but that's not the case. Yeah, great examples. Um, I have a couple more terms that I just, I really need your help with because I'm an old person and I don't know what negging is. So I had to look this up earlier too. Um, and I found out that it's just another way to say gaslighting. It's emotional manipulation. Um, it's spelled N-E-G-G-I-N-G. Um, it's a form of emotional manipulation. Personally, I've never heard of it or used it, but um, I think it's just another way to say gaslighting. And it makes you second guess whether there was like a backhanded compliment or a microaggression, kind of like whatever was saying how people say that they're just joking when they do a microaggression. Um, that would be negging because you weren't really joking. You were petting me or saying I look better this way or, oh, if you had a, a like, oh my God, this makes me so mad. When people tell my friends with ethnic noses, you would look so good with a slimmer nose and then they go oh no, no no but your nose is perfect the way it is but then my friend is like should I get a rhinoplasty then because is my nose not perfect enough and I always tell my friends with ethnic noses like no your nose is beautiful like if you look back at like the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire their noses were in their sculptures it was that was their beauty standard but of course over time the beauty standard was manipulated into something different. Um, so negging can be anything from saying that the microaggression wasn't the microaggression, like you're just making it up to something that happened a lot when I was in BUSD where principals and vice principals and people who were supposed to be there to support me were telling me, maybe you should see the school psychologist. And I was like, excuse me, I remember um, at Burroughs, I had the disciplinary principal at the time tell me, you should go see this, um, the school psychiatrist. And I was like, I, I remember walking in because they guided me to the office. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Like I was pleading, I do not want to do this because I'm not crazy. That's what they were telling me. They were telling me that I was making up all of these situations of students hurting me. And still to this day, that emotional trauma from something so that sounds so small, the emotional trauma still has me guessing sometimes when I talk to people and tell them about my story, am I lying at those parts? Am I crazy? Am I just being emotional? And that is emotional manipulation and it is mental abuse even though it comes in a term <laughs> it's kind of funny term it's negging but 
even though it comes in the small term, the consequences of that term can affect somebody for the rest of their life. Because something I was thinking about, because we're reading a book in um, my college seminar class called Corazon, and she talks about mangoes a lot. It's a really good book. I think that anybody, it's, it's a bit of a mature book, but anybody who's mature enough to read it, I'd say probably senior juniors, she talks about mangoes a lot and how the fruit bruises. And something that that made me think about is your skin can bruise, but the bruise, the thing that caused that bruise will bruise your mind forever because it will stick with you and you won't forget it. Even though the evidence is gone, you still internalize it and keep it with you and carry it with you. So negging, although it's a, it sounds like a funny term, has long lasting effects. And yeah, I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say about it too, because it's something that I love talking about. Before I wanted to do biology, I wanted to do psychology. <laughs> so I, I love talking about things that have to do with like mental capacities and stuff. So yeah. Who wants to add something? Ella? I would love to add something because I think that negging and gaslighting happens a lot in the LGBTQ community. And because I run Saga, a lot of people come to me for uh, advice about the LGBTQ community. And one of my best friends came to me a lot over quarantine, specifically because um, they were facing a lot of um, not necessarily like direct like gaslighting and negging it was more so indirect because of their religion and how that affects their family structure so they were like you know i didn't i didn't think that gay people actually existed i didn't think that this i thought this was a choice like all these past kind of views that like they used for me as well like they, they told me once, I remember um, that I, uh, give me one moment. They told me once that I was, um, that I just came out because my other friend came out at the same time. And, uh, you know, my dad has done it before too. Like, oh, you know, like you're not, pansexual that doesn't exist type thing and you know they like try to act like it's because they were raised in a different generation i feel like that's a common kind of phrase always used like oh it's fine they were raised in a different generation but like if i'm giving you a unique point of view like and i try to repeat myself about how like this is important and it's a thing and i give you the scientific study like at a certain point you kind of have to either change your opinion or just admit that you're doing something wrong and that you're harming someone. So I feel like it's a difficult thing for people to kind of deal with the kind of like overarching teachings that we kind of get about, especially about the LGBTQ community and how people often write off, for example, like sex for gender expression when the two aren't related. 
So it's, it's, you know, it's a sticky situation. Ella, uh, Eleven, go ahead. Well, um, I definitely complete. I definitely agree with Ella and um, Haley. And with one thing I, uh, Hallie said, um, sorry, Hallie, um, that uh, Hallie said is I didn't really know the definition of nagging in the beginning. So thank you so much for explaining that. And I definitely see that happening a lot in the Asian community as well. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of people make fun of people's food and culture sometimes, which is kind of rude sometimes, but um, the way nagging works in the Asian community is kind of like a backhanded compliment, which is a weird thing to say. So for instance, people would be like, oh yeah, um, it's it's weird that you eat that food. And obviously you're shocked by that comment because that's such a random comment. Like, you know, why would you say that? And then that's the start of nagging. And this is really common in the, which is really unfortunate, but it's very common in the Asian community as three out of four Asian Americans have dealt with hate crimes or that sort of bullying. And it's very common, which is like really sad because people, you know, make, because we eat different foods sometimes in the Asian community, which makes us unique. That's where our culture is from. Not only that, the food tastes really good, but not everyone is used to that. And which is normal because everybody has their own different food and a lot of people don't like to experiment, which is one of the biggest things that people face and deal with. So um, some ways, you know, we can get rid of nagging is, you know, I believe we talked about this earlier. I forgot what the definition was, but teaching them and teaching them about like the benefits of the food, not only that, but like teaching them like what the food is and how that is hurtful to someone and how that is a backhanded, it's really backhanded, you know, um, not like necessarily a compliment, but if you're able to teach someone that, oh yeah, this food is actually really good, then you know, my, they might end up liking it. A lot of people, sorry, one thing I've noticed about um, some people, like mainly in the city of Burbank, they don't really like to experiment with new things, mainly if they already have their mindset and menta mentality set to, oh yeah, I'm going to eat the same thing every day. For instance, like they, you know, people have like different stereotypes. Like, you know, some people, like after watching like American TV for a long time, I thought people ate mean loaf on Mondays every single week. I'm not going to lie. Cause that's one thing I learned growing up. I used to watch this TV show called Johnny test. And I thought that's what people did. I thought that was like American culture. I personally thought, oh yeah, they just eat meat loaf on Mondays. But then growing up, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you guys don't eat that every week. And it's okay to learn and it's okay to make mistakes, you know, because at the end of the day, we are all humans. We all make mistakes and we're all different in our own ways with our food, with our culture. It just depends on how we grow from there. Because if we continue to say these things, we are continuing the circle of nagging and making you know, weird comments. But if we grow and say like, oh, what, like, trying out the food or even learning about the culture, then it's completely different and yeah all right um, we're we're gonna wrap up here with a couple of things ever i see you and i'm going to pitch this one to you and uh you know work it all in together but before we go i need to know when we when we say lgbtq plus or lgbtq IA, what do those things stand for? What what is and Ellie, you can jump in on this too, but what do you recommend that that we say when we're talking about this group? Okay, so for the LGBTQ community, 
the way I kind of cut it off is just at LGBTQ because it gets a little complicated after that. But to break it down, it's uh, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, gay, and then Q is for queer. And then if you go on to IA, I is intersex and A is asexual. So it's it's just kind of, a, it goes on for a while if you include every single part of the LGBTQ community. But those are like the main ones for that. And it basically labels anyone who's on the sexuality or gender spectrum who doesn't feel like they aren't quite represented by the heterosexual label. Again, you don't need to have a label. That's kind of what queer is there for. Queer basically says, I, or like bi-curious, it's kind of like saying like, oh, you know, I don't necessarily want to define what I am just yet. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who identifies a certain sexuality and the rest of the cabinet on, so- on Saga is queer. And then, you know, it's just an overall term. And then there's trans, yeah. The rest of them are kind of a little bit more self-explanatory, except for intersex people, a lot of them don't necessarily need to associate themselves with the LGBTQ community, but some of them do choose to because intersex people are born with both uh, male and female reproductive organs. So they're associated, but some intersex people choose not to be part of the LGBTQ community. Um, also add on on what Ella says and it also uh, I attend I attend PFLAG meeting which is uh, parents and friends of lesbians and gays which was created back in the 70s either 60s or 70s um, uh, the organization and this is something that we're talking and LGBTQIA plus or just LGBTQ plus and many people, for example, older generations, when it comes to the word queer, it can be triggering because it was, oh, you're you're queer, and it was used as an insult. But as we see in this generation now, I'm like, oh, when I think of queer, I'm like, oh, someone who doesn't want to identify or someone who's still figuring out what, if they want to have a label or if they don't want to have a label. And, and it's something that that we see is that through generations and generations, words can change in the meaning and queer is a perfect example especially when we when we talk to older members of the lgbtqia plus community um when you say the word queer it can it can be triggering as it as, as back back then that word was used as insults and if you were queer then you you could be put out you death threats lose your job and it could ruin your life which was very unfortunate and such a sad thing and, but now in this generation, we see the beauty of it and the word queer being used and the younger generation teaching the older generation, oh, no, 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 this is our word now and we're embracing it and this is what it means now to us. And like, it's going to take a time to get readjusted with the new uh, definition, but with time, we'll keep up with that. I'm so glad you brought that up. The final question that I want to ask everybody is what are the importance of asking someone their pronouns? How do you do that in a genuine way that it doesn't just feel like something you've tacked on? Um, would someone like to talk about that? I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, so basically what, what I like to do is that at first, especially in a group setting, and it's something that in ASB that we uh, that we do that when we had our our, re, our 
our work days or when our first days when we got to meet each other, we first introduced ourselves with our pronouns. So everybody could could adjust to it and be like, oh, okay, so this is how we're doing. And some people still, regardless, will take it as a joke or be like, oh, normal or Hershey's or, and it's, it's ridiculous. But I think it's the importance is that it, it gives you to respect a person. So it's like, at the beginning of the webinar, we all introduced ourselves and we used our pronouns and it's something that, that comes natural or even when having genuine conversations, you can be like, oh, if I may ask, what are your pronouns so I can respect your identity or how you want to be identified because we don't want to be using wrong pronouns. For example, what I do is if I don't know the person, I use they, them. So I'm once I know the pronouns that they feel comfortable using, then I will use the pronouns that they ask me to use. And it's something that that we need to do more is asking like, oh, what are your pronouns? And it's many people find it weird because it's been very stigmatized and it's been also kind of used as a political opinion, which is really unfortunate when when it comes to identifying people that are like, oh, like, especially in the far right, we see like, oh, pronouns are just this, like just liberal talk or just like insulting people. And we're like, well, no, we just want to have it as, uh, something that we can just all I use to identify and make sure that everyone feels comfortable and safe when having sort of conversations. Ella? I think Ever put it beautifully, but I feel like another major part of why we kind of need to acknowledge or like, wait, sorry, I need to start off with some good kind of examples with like the new school season. Um, some good examples was my statistics teacher, Ms. Hollingshed. Hollingshed. She basically put a little form where you talked about yourself, like, you know, the basic, like, first day of school homework, right? And on that, she had a section for your pronouns, and she had a specific set of, like, little check places where you put, like, a check mark of where she can use those pronouns. So like, for example, for people who are non-binary, but have not come out to their parents, you can mark that you are not supposed to put them in front of my parents or in front of classmates because they're scared of classmates being uh, homophobic or transphobic, you know, like there, it was just really considerate. And I have seen other teachers do it. I forget which ones did. Um, I know that Miss Hollingshed also did as not Miss Hollingshed. Oh my gosh, sorry. Miss Hacker also set, put a portion for uh, pronouns on this like name card thing. But again, like I said, it kind of backfires because it was more public. So I I really like the approach to asking and asking who you can share it with, especially in Saga, because a lot of these kids are not out to their parents and it's not a safe environment for them to be, you know, at home or after school at a saga meeting, which is why we also do them at lunch because they don't have to say where they are, they're at school. So it's not like they're going any place. So I feel like pronouns are just in general important to just coincide with the person. It's respectful. It's a part of that. You know, if someone tells me that their pronouns are normal, you know, I'll use them. You may not like them because you were trying to joke around, even though it's not funny, but like, I'll use them if you really want me to. And then uh, I know that it just gives a huge sense of gender euphoria to people who are trans or non-binary to have people actually use their pronouns because it, it does mean a lot when you, especially when we have people come out in Saga, they feel such 
great euphoria when we start using their pronouns properly or when we start referring to them properly, if they change their name, if we start to refer them properly, it like the smile on these kids' faces, I swear, it's great. So yeah, I feel like they're important just as a matter of respect and oh, just a great way to ask if you don't know the person, just ask them for their pronouns. It's kind of like asking them their name, same kind of spectrum of identity. I also want to just quickly add on, especially uh, my ASL teacher, Miss Rincon, uh, she also, uh, when she gave us the get to know you form uh, at the top, it's like, what are your pronouns? Is it okay if I use it with, with your parents? Is it okay if I use it in the classroom? And it's something that, that like, it's like, oh, wow, like, you can like, be like, oh, like this teacher genuinely cares about how I feel or how the safety or just, and like Ella was saying, like many students, uh, I know during the pandemic, uh, men, so, like the clubs like Saga, many saw that less people were, were coming because of their environment at home because they don't feel safe, which is something that as a school we, we work on. And sometimes we hear like students like, oh, it's the weekend. Like, why can't I just stay at school? And it's such a sad thing to hear that at school they feel more safe than at their home and it's it's just it's just something that we as a society in general need to work on better on especially with pronouns and being able to respect pronouns especially when it comes to non-binary and transgender students I just want to thank you all for being part of our panel tonight. You all just spoke so eloquently. I think that one of the reasons that some of our teachers are making these strides is because their students have taught them. Uh, we are learning from you um, and, and we are making progress because you are bold and speak up and confront adults in, an, in a kind way that helps us to learn and challenge our own thinking. So I thank you so much for that. I just, are there any final um, comments that anybody wants to make? I'll, I'll give you a minute, Hallie, go for it. Um, talking about pronouns, uh, at the August 19th um, board meeting, there was actually a student named Cole and he presented something, he presented about pronouns and why we should, present them and when he spoke about it like for me it kind of hit home because one of my best friends growing up is trans so I've seen how it affects people when you don't respect your pronouns and again I have a lot of non-binary friends and I see how it affects them when you don't use the proper pronouns. So it's important to respect people. And I remember like being at the meeting that night, it was such a loving environment because after he presented, um, Matt Hill acknowledged it and presented his pronouns. And um, I remember like seeing Cole cry because of it because it was such a like a euphoric moment to have somebody acknowledge you and knowing that people cry about it when it is that just that just shows that using pro the correct pronouns is very important because it's not I don't think it's it's like if somebody 
I remember I had a substitute and he would on purpose say my name wrong. And that's like my identity. It's part of who I am. And pronouns are a part of who somebody is. It's just as important as saying somebody's name correctly. Cause it's like, you would never call your boss the wrong name. It, it's, it's, imp- I, I like, that's this is just adding on to whatever you had to say. <laughs> but um, I also wanted to say that I'm so happy that I was invited here. Thank you so much for inviting me and that I got to talk to all of you. You guys are all so bright and you guys are, if you ever need to talk to me, go ahead. Um, I think everybody has my email. Um, if you ever need to contact me, um, I live in Barank. I go to school in Pasadena. Like I'm always around, but you guys are also bright. You have bright futures ahead. Please keep doing what you are doing because I, when I was in school, I didn't have people like you that were bright and wanted well, actually, no, there were a lot of people who were bright, but there weren't people who were interested in DEI and making an inclusive and safe space. And I think that it's really important. And I think it's very mature of all of you to talk about it and come here and talk about these things, because these are things that adults have trouble with. I know that I have to have very serious conversations with my mom because she doesn't fully understand everything. And it's good to see people who won't get hostile over it and allow people to ask questions because that's really what learning is about. You can't teach people and be hostile about it. I mean, imagine if our kindergarten teachers yelled the ABCs at us, that wouldn't have worked that well. Um, So yes, please keep doing what you're doing. Um, If you ever need anything, I am always here to help you to make connections. I have, like I said, I have a lot of friends. Um, And if you ever need insight or input, I will connect you to whoever you need. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's that's all I wanted to say. Thanks, Hallie. Anybody else, any last words ever? I just wanna say again, thank you so much, Dr. Meg, for this wonderful opportunity. And especially to uh, Dolores Huerta Middle School for having this parent ed um panel of, of all of us especially what makes it significant is that we're high school students or we're alumni or we're still learning and it's really important that we engage in these types of topics and it will be hard but at the end of the day it, it's worth it and we all learn from it we all grow from it and we see okay how can i improve myself from this now moving forward and it's something that's just so beautiful and it's something that we see, especially with the school renaming. Um, I have the privilege of sharing the same last name as it too. So it gives representation, especially at a district where we have 40% of this district uh, identifying as Latino. So it's really important. So again, thank you again so much, Dr. Meg, for inviting all of us. And again, if you guys, I work with Levin and Ella very closely at Burroughs. So Again, Haley, thank you again so much for coming. And if you ever need anything from us, you know where to find us. And if you ever need connections too, I also have some connections of mine. So thank you again so much for this wonderful opportunity, Dr. Meg. Thanks, Ever. Levin? 
Yeah, I just want to give a big thank you to everyone. Uh, Dr. Mech, thank you so much for giving us this platform to speak on. It's um, greatly appreciated and we really appreciate all the efforts you are doing for the DEI committee and all that you're doing to help make a change in the school and school district, which is really awesome. And it was great to meet all you all today and for all the comment, all the commenters and uh, spectators out there, thank you for your kind comments and we really hope you enjoyed. Um, Hallie, it was so nice to meet you. And um, same as everyone, it's such a pleasure working with you all. And I'm so happy that we're gonna share a lot. I know one thing we wanted to share was cancel culture. So um, I just wanted to say really fast, um, cancel culture for all the adults is boycotting, just times to a little more extreme, but um, boycotting, cancel culture, go hand in hand with each other. So just wanted to share that. But um, other than that, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, have a great night, everyone. Thanks, Levin. Ella, last words. Again, just really quickly, thank you so much, Dr. Meg. And thank you so much to Ever Levin and Holly for coming because like seeing you guys' perspectives is really nice and hearing it was great. Um, Evelyn is in the back enjoying herself. So it's it's really educational. I know I'm not on camera, I'm sorry, but it was a beautiful conversation and you all did so well and listening to you was so educational. Thank you so much for talking, you guys. Incredible. Yeah, and I want to thank all the spectators for putting in the effort to listening. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. And thanks to all of our people watching and listening and uh, have a great night, everybody.